0: Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host on The Future of Sport, episode 35, here on the All In Sports Talk Network. Delighted today, a very special guest, not met Mark J. Burns from uh, the USA, uh, but I've been delighted to be able to uh, have some connections with Mark over a number of years now, I think, mainly via social media and Twitter, particularly. So I just want to begin, uh, Mark. Perhaps you can give us a little highlight showcase, uh, tell us a little bit about why sport business and how you came to inhabit this wonderful world we both inhabit. Sure, and uh, Alan, thanks so much for, for having me on on the
1: show. Uh, yeah, I guess my background, so I uh, went, to, went to the r- University of Michigan for undergrad, uh, thinking I was going to uh, be the next sports medicine doctor for the Detroit Red Wings, and took a, a few science classes, and immediately realized that this was going to be an extremely tough road, and that wasn't actually interested in science I was more interested in, in actually in, you know in helping people and so um so it had a, a pivot early on in my undergraduate career uh eventually landed on um, majoring in history and uh writing for the school paper was one of the extracurricular activities that I uh kind of embarked upon um, my first semester excuse me my second semester uh, freshman year and, and covered um uh, some of the sports at the University of Michigan. That's kind of my first like real foray into. Granted, it wasn't a full time job or an internship, but it was a uh, my first sports experiences. And so that's kind of where I fell in love with writing. Uh, went through my undergraduate career uh, with real no you know no real internships. Kind of landed on going to law school, um, thinking I may may practice law, um, but also there was the the sports agency world was an area I wanted to. Potentially get into, um, so I kind of had that interest along with the writing, just kind of going parallel, yeah, um, side by side over, over the the course of those years. So, uh, when graduating in 2011, went to law school in Nashville in a school called Belmont. Was there three years, and that's really where I got my sports experiences. Um, you know, how plan a few sports business conferences, did did a, a ton of writing at different publications. Um, you know, Sporting News and Forbes were two that, that come to mind now. Intern in, in the athletic office at, at Belmont. And really, I mean, like I said, I used that experience or the time to get as much experience as possible and basically trying to touch different parts of the sports world um, to really find out what I loved the, uh, doing. And it kind of all came back to, to writing at the same time the agency world. I didn't really get an, an internship with the, a sports agency on the contract side of things or on the marketing um, but still wanted to pursue that. So graduated in 14, um, and it took about eight, nine months to get a full-time job. I moved to Atlanta from Nashville um, and joined a sports agency called uh, CSC. It used to be called Career Sports Entertainment. Now it's called CSC Talent, and I was on the marketing side doing you know, uh, uh, commercials and, and endorsement deals. We did a few book deals for clients yep. and basically taking care of things going you know away from uh, 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 off the field for our clients. Um, I did that for almost two years. Really, you know, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Uh, And again, I come back to the writing. That was really, like, my passion. It still is. I mean, that's what I'm doing now. That's what I love doing day in and day out. And so really wanted to figure out what I could do and how I could leave the agency to join uh, a publication. And and it was, you know, one day I was at the office, and a few emails came in from friends in the industry. And there was a job posting at sporttechie.com. And they were looking for a senior writer. Yep. And I was like, okay, this is the opportunity that I've been looking for. And I knew knew two of the, the, the two co-founders. And so shot them both notes, uh, applied, and within, I think, three and a half, four weeks, I had accepted a full-time offer. And so that was in, uh, I think, August of 16. I was there for about 10 months. In the meantime, I moved to, to New York uh, to work from here. And uh, after those 10 months, it was, you know, for a number of different reasons, it was time to move on. I thought I was going to get out of media altogether. Um, uh, you know, I really had like a lot of soul searching and, and kind of figuring out what I wanted in uh, in a career and life and, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, I think a lot of people just go through that, you know, at yep. some points in their life. And I was experiencing that last year for a couple months and a buddy of mine in the industry, uh, he's really the one who pushed me to, to do what I'm doing now. He said to me, you know, you really, you love writing. You have some good relationships. It's obviously going to be a ton of work, and it's all on you to, to make it happen. But, you you know, you don't want to look back 10, 20 years from now and say, hey, I wish I would have started my own site when I was 28 and had no responsibility versus when I'm, you know, 45 and have three kids and the mortgage. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I woke up one day. uh woke up, uh, I think, August 8th. That was the day that I woke up and said, um, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And so that was... That was then, and um, we launched seven, six and a half weeks later, October 4th. And, yeah, what I'm doing now is so Sports Business Chronicle, uh, a digital media company covering the intersection of sports and business. Uh, it's fairly broad right now, but our real sweet spots for coverage are, you know, digital and social media, technology, uh, business, uh, general business, marketing, sponsorship, uh, media, and then a little bit of eSports sprinkled in. Um, and, yeah, it's been five five months five plus months just me bootstrapped uh and yeah it's uh sportsbusinesschronicle.com so that's kind of where we're at that's the that's the quick abbreviated version of the of the background but um that's where we're at today
0: mark it's a fascinating narrative uh and you know it's taken you five or six minutes to give me a snapshot um i know and i think you know We could probably talk for hours and hours on many of those touch points that you've uh, introduced to my audience today, and I am going to pick up on a few of them and and we'll evolve uh, a conversation here. I can say quite confidently, we've never met before, but it's so amazing And I have a variety of guests. This is my 35th episode in, doing them fortnightly, so you can see, 18 months or so. I've had some great delight, some really fascinating conversations with people. But there's so many threads that are so consistent... And, you know, it almost keeps repeating itself. And your storyline, you know, quite similar to mine. I mean, I was a history graduate when I left university many, many years ago. Um, I started in education and loved studying, loved writing, and then got into um, commercial radio and consultancy and then did an MBA. And then finally, in my latter years now, uh, I've been in formal higher education and doing my own thing uh, and in the latter part of, of my career now so there's lots and lots of synergies there but I think the most important point I've, that, that I've picked up on, on some of the things that you've already said, you have a passion for writing, where do you think that your skill set and that passion uh, comes from Mark and when did it first kind of surface or materialise in
2: your early years?
1: Yeah, no that's a good question, um, uh, I would say it started in, in high school actually okay. Um, I had an English professor. His name was uh, uh, Donald Ambrose. Right. I went to a school called Orchard Lake St. Mary's uh,
0: Preparatory. It's in Orchard Lake, Michigan. And Yeah. Uh, he was. Uh, have you ever seen the movie uh, Dead Poets Society? Yeah, um, yeah. Was that Williams? Very, was that yeah, Will- yeah, 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 yeah.
1: He's very similar to. Wow, the,
0: like, fantastic.
1: Yeah, in his, you know, being <laughs> a eccentric
0: quirky, non-traditional yep. yeah. teacher um, he
1: bur- he actually burned one of my he, <laughs> he was going through st- just give me a quick ending. he was he was going through a, uh, a stack of papers one time and you know they were all terrible according to him and I think I was a junior at the time and he uh, he pulled mine unfortunately from the pile and looked at it and looked at me and said uh, this is trash and uh, he, he, <laughs> he picked up a lighter and uh, lit the paper on fire and threw it in the trash.
0: <laughs> but it's a memorable moment, isn't it, Mark? And teaching, learning, those seminal moments, they last forever. Great story.
1: Yeah, that was in uh, Yeah, I, was in the, I, was, I think I was in a senior class at the time, but I was, a, I, was a, I was a junior, and so that was, I think, 2005 or 2006. So I remember that story as clear as crystal uh, yeah. to this day, and, and he'll deny it to the day he dies. Uh, I remember him throwing it in the trash and... Uh, the trash kind of catching on fire, so he had to uh, be quick with his, like, water that was on his desk and uh, his foot to kind of put out the fire. But um, it started to your question, the writing started there, the interest in, and, uh, you know, the things we write in class, and um, he just made it a point of emphasis. His, his, you know, big point was no matter what you do in life, writing and writing, uh, you know, being efficient with your words and not being too, too flowery and too... Uh, over the top and being you know he, he, that was his his main his main one of his main points and so I enjoyed that class and then when i went to michigan uh, a buddy of mine was covering women's tennis with the school paper and yeah. every week you know he'd have one or two stories and and we were i mean one of my close buddies and we talked uh fairly regularly and, and it was always like you know you know what are you doing on on the weekend Oh i'm going to the women's tennis complex to cover a game or cover a match and you know, I was like, oh, it's sports, it's writing, like, I like both of those, why don't I kind of give it a shot, and so one day I just, you know, walked with him to the to the newsroom, and that was, I think, January of 20, uh, 2008, so second semester, freshman year, and uh, frankly, I never left, uh, I would say my junior and senior year, I spent, you know, way much more time doing anything related to the school paper than than classes, which... Uh, for my folks I think took some getting used to but they realized that writing and and being in this world being in this sports media world granted I was still a student but it was something that I really uh, really loved so yeah to your question started with the professor but really materialized more when I was a freshman and, and followed my
0: to the newsroom. And I, and I think that's great, um, you know, take it, take it, grasp it, seize the moment, and then make sure it's not just the starting point because it needs to evolve, it needs to, to happen. And it, it's not only great advice without patronizing anybody who's listening all the conversation here, I often use it myself with my stories and other great examples of mentors and parallel people who are successful. But I think one of the other important things. That that you that, that that you've raised there is that I wanted to ask you a question on the purpose of writing, and particularly in the context of maybe some of the things you, you've done, uh, techno or tech, you know, with technology or with the sports, the media, the agency, and and, and eventually we'll probably come on. Well, we will come on to uh, all about Sport Business Chronicle. But do you think there is? You know, we live in what I call the attentive economy and everything is immediate, 24-7, etc., etc. And the way that perhaps some of the worst kind of information that goes out there, whether it be writing, whether it be any form of communication, is it's got to be first and it's got to be instant and sometimes, you know, it's, it's all headlines and very little content or substance. What kind of perspectives have you gleaned and what... What's important, I suppose, uh, Mark, in terms of the way you want your writing to reflect what's going on? Is it journalism? Is it opinion? Is it a combination of both, or is it just delivered to perhaps a more immediate digital type of audience? Yeah, I think it, there's a few things going on, at least with what I'm doing now. So I think to so what you point, yeah, I think it's still it's still you know, traditional journalism and
1: traditional you know journalism ethics and and how the business yeah. is. Um I think if you know if you're breaking a big a big scoop or you have a piece of news and, and you know one hundred percent without a fact, you know, a shadow of a doubt that it's that you're accurate, that your you know, your sourcing is is,
2: is uh imp- you know, there's no uh you know, no one can poke any holes in it or anything like that, then I think one hundred percent you can run with it. For, yeah. for what I'm doing now, because because it's just me, I haven't had an opportunity to, to do much on like the breaking news or getting okay. you know, scoops here and there. I'm um, fairly fascinated with finding finding stories that no one else is covering.
1: Yeah, and finding uh, you know unlocking you know news and information that. Uh, People, again, people aren't covering, but they sure sh- People aren't maybe talking about, but they should be. And I'll give you, you know, a few examples. One is, you know, the Nick Foles. this Nick Foles story yeah. I wrote last week for for this site. You know, it's a few months or it's a few weeks after Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl MVP, and you know, the again we we went through the Olympic cycle. Super Bowl not really relevant anymore, but it, you know, him and his marketing certainly is, and from what I could
0: tell, no one had written that story, you know, his marketing, the marketing landscape essentially for Nick Bowles and how he was catching it, if he was catching it on his Super Bowl MVP. And so based on, you know, a few of my relationships, was able to get in touch with his,
1: his marketing agent, talked for an hour last week and write up a story that, um, you know, I don't think anyone else really had. But again, for me, and I think for people in sports, they should know what's going on with him based on what happened in the Super Bowl. And so... For me, and again, what I'm doing, yeah, it's unlocking the, uh, those things that no one else is really talking about, but should be, and writing original content that no one else is is producing. Uh, to what you said on the immediacy, I think something that this isn't unique to me. Uh, a fair amount of single single publishers or startup media companies do that is do this is they send uh, they send stories or they send their content directly to uh, their readers' inboxes. Yeah, and so. Been doing some surveys and talking with a bunch of subscribers and a bunch of members. Uh, there was a large amount of uh, folks who wanted better. Uh, I guess the, the you know more. Um, I guess how do I might put this? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they wanted to uh, access the content in a more efficient manner versus having to you know find the content on my site or see it in the newsletter. Yeah. And so basically, been sending uh, the articles directly to their inbox without them having to even visit my website. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's been, I've heard a lot of good feedback from from folks that are receiving that. And again, it's to your point on, it's not only the immediacy, but it's also the convenience too. Correct. Uh, people live and die by their calendar and their inbox. Um, and I think a lot, all of, everyone's on their email all day long. So um, I hope that answers your
0: question. Absolutely. But- and Mark, I, I, I'm i so, so encouraged. I mean, perhaps not, that's not quite the right. It, I, I think it's exciting and enthralling to find so many different perspectives on what we're all trying to do we're all communicators we're all wanting to share things and, and those who aren't I don't think really should be in our business because I think we live in a, uh, a in a global world now and we certainly live in a world where knowledge is key to lots and lots of things but we don't know it all and I've spent a lifetime in various uh, important sectors and I'm so much more uh, a learner as much as a teacher these days and I think it's great to find and i really particularly like the idea of what you've said unfolding and unlocking new stories you know doing it differently i always admire and again maybe it's not quite the right word i'm very respectful of the idea of an americans for whatever reason and again i'm probably generalizing a little bit here but they always believe that they could be number one in something and i think that in itself is a great You know, it's a great lead for people because everyone is doing the breaking news and immediacy and get there first and covering the same old. And if you can find that golden nugget or that extra thing, I think that is truly, uh, you know, a very good route. You talked about um, immediacy or I raised the point of immediacy and you raised the point of convenience. Get both of those. Can I ask you about relevancy? Because, again, you know, you've spent whatever your career and your evolving career, the time in it, and the landscape is changing so quickly. You know, in my lifetime, it's changed. Uh, you know, it, it, it's been like an explosion and more explosions. But what do you see as the kind of immediate and relevant trends that need to be covered by people like you? Yeah, I think... Um... If it was up to me, so I'll give you a few things. One is I, I think eSports, from people I talk with yeah. in the industry that are maybe full-time in eSports and in gaming, there's definitely an a sense of eSports fatigue in a way because it's been hammered home
1: for the past, you know, 24 to 36 months. and it's this it's just you know, next big thing and, and, and in some cases this next big thing is here. And uh, you know, becoming a big part of the you know, the bigger global sports industry. If it was up to me, I think esports I would cover it, you know, much more heavily than I do now. Yeah. With that being said, I've talked with a lot of people that are on my you know, that have paid for paid for content that are members of the Sports Business Chronicle. And frankly, there's probably less than a dozen that are in the esports world full time, and and even them, those folks aren't really. Yes, they're in esports full time, but they're interested in reading about other uh, other other topics in the industry. And, and outside of those folks, everyone else that I've talked to, and I did a, a big survey again, um, esports was one of the the least represented categories of categories that people wanted to see more of. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think esports is still is still a hot topic. I'm actually going to an eSports conference tomorrow in New York just to hear what's going on. But I think that's a fascinating world. For me, I don't cover it day in and day out. It's on the fringe of what I cover. Um, I think betting and how that's going to take, I mean, when that gets legalized uh, in the U.S., I think it's only a matter of time, especially when it goes state by state. That's going to transform not only, I mean, just the entire industry, but the fan experience at games. Um, I think there's lots of potential for how fans, or, excuse me, for how teams engage with fans around um, around betting. Um, I just think there's like a huge, there's gonna be a massive potential there for for that type of opportunity. Um, with what I
2: cover, I think uh, again, mixed reality, AR and VR. Okay, that's, yeah,
0: that's kind of at the from a tech standpoint. I don't go
1: too deep into tech, but those three different areas. Are, are certainly areas I focus on and how teams, teams and leagues are leveraging the technology, not only to engage with fans, but also for, uh, you know, how teams are leveraging like VR for, for player training and player performance. Um, so I think that that's still like a hot, hot area. VR really was extremely hot late, you know, mid to late 2016 and all of last year. Uh, I think AR is taking, you know, if, if it hasn't, yeah. uh, Surpass VR from an interest standpoint. It's it's definitely getting there. I think there's way more potential with AR right now with just how the technology is on uh, on, on cameras and on smartphones. Um, so yeah, I would say that area. And then also, I mean, this is a huge category, but just around content. How's content being delivered to fans? Yeah. Um, whether it's live streaming, whether it's uh, you know through mobile. Um, I, I, again, that's broad, but, yeah, just kind of focusing on content, social
2: distribution, um,
0: all of that. So. I mean, Mark, you've covered, obviously, clearly what you recognise, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with most, if not all, of what you've talked about there. But I also want to kind of maybe just segue off for a moment, uh, and it might lead somewhere that I don't know whether you'd be... Uh, comfortable answer, but we, we can talk about it anyway, but you touched upon the fan experience and kind of the whole broad aspect of fan engagement you know, with, with, with what they get and what they expect and, and I think always, again, I use this phrase quite often, the parallels or the, um, you know, the, the less comparables as it were, between an experience, say going to watch a football, a soccer match in, uh, you know, a football match in the UK or a soccer match uh, in, in the states, and there's, I know, a lot of debate over there around MLS. So, do you have a view on uh, the arguments within MLS, and, and and maybe how that's hindered some of the professional or some of the development of uh, of of you know soccer in the US? Is, is is there a view that you have there, perhaps, Mark? Yeah, I think. I mean, it's hard to end out what I what I look at and cover, but. Um it's interesting. Like a lot of people in sports, don't at least this is a, the
2: U.S. perspective, don't, still don't give soccer enough. Um, I don't say enough respect based on uh, kind of the you know player salaries.
1: Yeah, you know, I, for, I'm not a soccer guy, but or a soccer fan, but from from friends of mine that watch MLS and compare it to what's you know going on overseas, the competition. Doesn't even come close to what uh, you know the player the the, the player performance at least the, the the competition doesn't come close to what's going on overseas. Yeah. So I think that maybe plays in the way. Um, with that said, it, I mean, means definitely you know I think they're what at twenty they're at twenty four teams now. Um, they just announced uh, Nashville. Yeah. Uh, which I think will be an awesome market. Um, just being down there for law school and seeing how. Uh, how the city rallied around the Predators after they went through in the, you know the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. They went through um, you know ownership change, potentially ro- relocating to Canada, um, and they've had a lot of success the past four or five, five years. Um, I think Nashville will do extremely there um, yeah. from a soccer
0: standpoint. And, and I think you've given a but very again, yeah, sorry, go carry on.
1: No, yeah, it's, I think, yeah, I think soccer will, will do incredible down there in Nashville. Um, but to, to your, to your question, I guess the point I would make is, yeah, I think, this, you know, people talk about the big four. Um, and it's always, I, you know, I think it's, you, it, you could definitely put soccer as, as the big five, um, into that. But again, it doesn't get the respect because of the, the, the competition, the player salaries, the team valuations, um, all that, and that's that's understandable. But you know, you look at some leagues. Um, I mean, hockey's in there, but um, you know, the ho- hockey I feel like is is sort of in a weird of the big four. Hockey's in this weird um, sort of state of influx. I don't, you know, with yeah. the hockey with the NFL players not playing in in, in South Korea, in the Olympics, and um, just the state of the league. I don't know. Uh, I still think the league has been trying to figure out how to market that. Uh, that sport in that league for for years Um, and they clearly still haven't figured it out Um, I don't
0: know, so yeah I mean, one of the things I wanted really to kind of move on from there was that As an exemplar or as an example or or kind of as a a market leader in many ways, from my perspective, you know, I I look at sports marketing education. I look at sport marketing degrees and programs. I follow a lot of sports and see how the growth of sport business, sport marketing. And it's wonderful, really, from a kind of – because we're still relatively new – to that whole essence of of, of business. And I always come back to the fact that, you know, when I went over and and watched Tampa Bay Lightning play and was a a guest there of the owners and and, and the people involved there, it was just sensational, the whole experience. And my students thought exactly the same. And it just appears somewhat, you know, if they can't do that with football or soccer, then there's got to be something more fundamentally wrong. But moving, or leaving that to one side for the moment, what do Americans want for the full fan experience? I know it's a very broad question, but give me a little insight from your perspective, Mark, on what truly fan engagement and the fan experience is in sports and entertainment there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can speak to, you know, I haven't done, <laughs> done a lot of, like, you know, fan surveys or anything like that, but at least for what I personally, and I think, what I personally feel, and I think just what fans want, they want, and this is, this is so simple, but they want Wi-Fi, or they want the capability to send a tweet Absolutely. or a, a snap or a, a post on Instagram. If they can't do that, especially for Jen, you know, for me as a millennial, even, you
1: know, Z years younger than me, um, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, that's going to be an issue. So I think that at its core being connected is still at the heart of, of, of a fan experience.
2: Um, Beyond that, I would say, um, at
1: least for, for me now, I can. I mean, I would prefer some type of personalized experience. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think that play, that is difficult in a way for for a lot of these teams. I would say most of these teams because they might know who the buyer of a certain you know of a, a certain four game or excuse me four ticket packages coming into their their venue, but they don't know my three friends yeah. based on based on purchasing. Um, they don't know they. My, my three friends with me could be the most rabid uh, Detroit Red Wing fans in the world, but but they would never know. And I, so I think it's how do you figure out who's in your venue? I think that is, and how do you? And as a result of that, personalizing their experience from the time they even from the time they leave their their apartment or their house to the time that they return home. I think how can their experience yeah. be different than the person next to them. Um, I, I don't mean, have the answer to that, but I think that's that should be. Top of mind with every every owner, every C, you know CMO in sports, whether it's a team, whether it's a property. Um, I went to not to throw them under the bus, but you know I was at Super Bowl and went to a Minnesota Timberwolves game uh, with a friend of mine, and it uh, in the past five year, past excuse me, past five years, it was probably the most underwhelming sports experience uh, that I've had, and I think that was a function of the atmosphere. Uh, the uh, there was nothing going on in the concourse. It was just a, a, like a super super dull uh, experience. Um, and it wasn't even like it was you know it was half half filled. Uh, it was probably 75 80 percent filled, but um, for whatever reason, it just I just left thinking this was such an underwhelming o- experience. Um, and so I think that's I mean that's just something that I think a lot of teams need to take into consideration
2: with regards to the personalization. So that and the the connectivity um, I know are top of mind with a lot of teams but it should be
0: with everybody. I mean Mark it's really gratifying and I think it's really again uh, so important to get this sense, this perspective and uh, your insight there and your hands on is something that I know will resonate with lots of the people I talk to and, and certainly lots of my listeners' audiences and the people who communicate with me through this platform here on the Future of Sports show and, and, and all my friends in All In Sports talk. Can I not com- come to some close here, but maybe a, a couple of summations. I'm going to go back right to the very beginning almost. Um, you know, um, I have an American wife. Uh, I have lots of American colleagues. Uh, In fact, a very good uh, sport business guru, colleague of mine, uh, uh, and more acquainted to the college, Stefan Stimansky, uh, is is the current prof at the University of Michigan. Uh, I know about the rivalry in, in, between Michigan and Ohio State, you know, and, it, and it's just quite fascinating. The global world or the sport business world is becoming, you know, closer and closer. It's the global village syndrome, if you like. What do you think is, is, is happening in this world now? And do Americans and do you in the future see uh, more and more global sport business and, and, and the fact of this, you know, connectivity and, and this Need to um, to really get more and more involved in, in sharing some of these experiences and practices, so that the whole sport business world can uh, can prosper.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. It's and I've I said this to a few friends in the industry. You know, and it, it, I mean, it makes sense in a way, but it, it kind of boggles my mind. Like everyone in the U.S., I mean, NFL, NBA, um, you know, the Big Four, and even you know, big brands and, and properties. I mean, this. I'm not probably. Uh, this is an earth shattering to everybody but people in the us just don't pay attention to what's going on overseas and this is generally speaking yeah. um, from a sports standpoint but again everyone overseas and, and or largely speaking they probably pay attention to what's going on with the NBA or the NFL um, from an innovation standpoint from what's happening from a you know live streaming uh, to, to, to everything and i um, and again I don't know how that changes but how can more teams in the u.s take learnings away from what's going on with the EPL what's going on with the Bundesliga what's yeah. happening in Australia Australian rugby because I think there's a lot of things happening I know when I was at sport there was um, uh, I'm trying to think a team in all Australia I believe called the Brisbane key yeah um, I think yeah I think it's uh, their cricket and they are doing some fat some things just as cutting edge as what teams were doing in the States, but because they're the Brisbane Heat, uh, 9 out of 10 sports professionals probably had, in the, in the States at least, had no idea probably about what they were doing. So hmm. I think that's something I wish there was more of, is, is how can people in the States take more away from what's happening, happening overseas, whether it's soccer, cricket, rugby, um, and just kind of having that perspective versus only looking at the States. Uh,
0: and other other teams within the same league, other leagues, other properties. Um, again, that's not earth shattering at all. But uh, But no, sure. Mark, Mark, it is so so uh, important, and I really wanted to get a touch point and uh, and also a comment from you there. And you're absolutely spot on in some ways, and, and in the way of of treating it very close, very very much. Uh, As you know, a a point to prosper and a point to progress from. I recently hosted a a global conference uh, in November, and 40 people from the University of South Florida, five faculty, and 35 master's students came over and they knew to a large extent, that they were coming for that very reason that you've just highlighted. But what they learned and what we learned from them and, and, and how easy it is to, um, to learn and, as I suggest, you know, find different ways of which we can all prosper in this wonderful world. It was fantastic and, and, and really gratifying to uh, to find some common ground in that area. Before we close on the interview, we've got about five or six minutes more here, um, if if we can, Mark. Your career. Uh, and I'm I, no way embarrassed. Here it's been a huge success. You know, we talk about you know the Forbes success story of the ones to watch and everything else. And you clearly have a vision of what you want to do in the future. If you were starting off again, would there be anything different that would you, that you would likely? Uh, maybe think about a little bit more, and if you were in the position to give advice to many of my young students who have just come out and graduated, uh, what kind of do's and don'ts or advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think if I could do things different, um, you know, I, I a few things. One is, um, you know, I, when I settled on, or I shouldn't say settled, when I decided on law school, I never could. Cons- to masters or an MBA, or even working um, after uh, after uh, undergrad, and maybe going back to school. Um, the idea of an M- a joint MBA or a JD MBA, or um, you know, sport, uh, maybe a master's in sport management, never came to mind. Okay, uh, and that was because I was so set on law school. You know, going from history major and a few minors to to law school. So I think that's something to is is, and again, I think the takeaway is to to make sure you exhaust all possible you know future opportunities and and i think part of that came with i didn't even know what an informational interview was until i was in law school and so had i known in undergrad that this is what it this is what that is this is actually a thing that you need to do and do it fairly regularly to learn more about the industry and people's backgrounds so that you can take those you know their their experiences and apply them to your own career if i would no, then probably, I probably—I don't know if I would have maybe settled on law school. So something that somebody would have said, or uh, maybe would have clicked with me, and you know, maybe I would have gone a different route. So I think that's that's one thing there. Um, another another lesson I would say really quick is is capitalizing on opportunities uh, and not and capitalizing on opportunities and not overthinking things. Okay. Um, and I'll give you another quick answer. When I um, was in New York one summer. I picked uh, a mentor of mine um, to do a couple Forbes stories with him. And I remember sitting, I went to the NHL draft. This is 2013. This is in New Jersey. I remember sitting in the arena and uh, finding a seat and going online to see if the article that we had written together had posted. And I remember seeing it, po- you know, I, I went online, looked at his Twitter feed, Darren's Twitter feed, uh, and uh, Darren Heider is the the person I'm I'm referencing. Okay, yeah. I found found the story and clicked into it and and found, you know, the article in my name, like, highlighted as somebody that had, you know, helped out with this article. And I thought to myself, and and this is 2013, so not too long ago, five years ago, and mind you, I'm still in law school. I remember thinking, man, if I can, um, you know, I remember thinking, one, you know, that's super cool that I was able to help out this story. And, two, this is an opportunity for me to really – be, um, showcase how I can uh, bring value to Darren to help out with some of these stories and maybe this leads to something down the road You know, I wasn't looking for anything in the short term uh, from an opportunity um, but just thinking you know, if I keep at this and keep maybe helping him out and maybe writing for different blogs and maybe that turns into something uh, full time somewhere maybe I can write for underneath my own byline and sure enough you know, I kept doing that with Darren I think we co-wrote maybe 20 to 30 stories together, yeah. um, you know, supporting news then reached out to me to write for them. And then, you know, uh, the following year, uh, Forbes, I ended up writing for them full time.
2: And so I guess the takeaway there is is capitalizing on opportunities when they hit your hit you like square in the face and not overthinking them because they're, they're a non-traditional opportunity. Maybe it's an, a free internship or it doesn't really make sense or it wasn't something that you were thinking about that you would do
1: and but and, but it, but it was an opportunity that you needed to capitalize on it. so again that's not like really, again earth shattering but capitalizing opportunities uh and
0: when they're there in front of you and make 100 uh you know 100 percent sense mark trust me that is gold dust and earth shattering yes it might not appear that just from a statement that you've just made in the last few minutes but it works And it is, and those simple, those dynamic, what I would say, and remembering those storylines. Because we came together in virtually the same way. And here we are five years on or four years on or three years on. Uh, I remember, I think, having one kind of little conversation, which has a little bit of an echo, you know, um... England, America, do we always share the same things? And I think you'd published on Forbes, you know, the top 100, whatever it was, or, you know, the trends coming forward. And I made a comment that there didn't really seem to be much coming out of my quarter as it were and you took some quotes from me you also took some quotes from Bill Sutton who was a big colleague of mine still is and the starting point that is made there it stands you in good stead and from that it's, it's a bit like when Seth Godin all those years ago started viral marketing and viral communications the spread is so so gratifying rewarding and everything else we're gonna sadly just about run out of time it's been a great pleasure today sincere pleasure and a delight to talk to you and get some insights how can my audience, just a few shout outs for, for yourself and Sport Business Chronicle uh, and, and how can they make contact with you Mark yeah, sportsbusinesschronicle.com is the website um, mark at com
2: is my email address um, and then Twitter uh, if you want to get in touch with me personally markjburns88 is the best way
0: there Mark, a real real delight i'm sure we'll convene again converse again i wish you every success going forward for sport business School chronicle uh, and, and particularly mark burns so thanks a lot you take care have a great week you too thanks alan cheers